Book One, Chapter Four of Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police: A Tale of the McLeod Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police, Book One, Chapter Four. Mr. Ray, in forty years' experience, had never been so seriously disturbed. To his intense humiliation, he found himself abjectly appealing to the senior member of the firm of Tomlinson and Shields. Not that Mr. Tomlinson was obdurate. In the presence of mere obduracy, Mr. Ray might have found relief in the conscious possession of more generous and humane instincts than those supposed to be characteristic of the members of his profession. Mr. Tomlinson, however, was anything but obdurate. He was eager to oblige, but he was helpless. The instructions he had received were simple but imperative and he had gone to unusual lengths in suggesting to Mr. Sherratt, the member of the bank, a course of greater leniency. That gentleman's only reply was a brief order to proceed with the case. With Mr. Sherratt, therefore, Mr. Ray proceeded to deal. His first move was to invite the bank manager to lunch, in order to discuss some rather important matters relative to one of the great estates of which Mr. Ray was supposed to be the guardian some fifty years experience of mr sherratt as a boy and man had led mr ray into a somewhat intimate knowledge of the workings of that gentleman's mind under the mollifying influences of the finest of old port mr ray made the discovery that as with mr tomlinson so with mr sherratt there was every disposition to oblige and indeed an eagerness to yield to the lawyer's desires it was not mr sherratt but the bank that was immovable firm fixed it stood upon its bedrock of tradition that in matters of fraud crime should be punished to the full limit of the law. The estate of the criminal, high or low, said Mr. Sherratt impressively, matters not. The bank stands upon the principle, and from this it cannot be moved. Mr. Sherratt began to wax eloquent. Fidelity to its constituency, its shareholders, its depositors, indeed to the general public, is the cornerstone of its policy. The Bank of Scotland is a national institution with a certain national obligation." Mr. Ray quietly drew from his pocket a pamphlet, opened it slowly, and glanced at the page. "'Aye, it's as I thought, Mr. Sherratt,' he said dryly. "'At times I wondered where Sir Archibald got his style.' Mr. Sherratt blushed like a boy caught copying. "'But now, since I know who it is that writes the speech of the chairman of the board of directors, tell me, Sherratt, as man to man, is it you or is it Sir Archibald that's at the back of this prosecution? For if it's you, I've something to say to you, if not, I'll just say it where it's most needed. In some way or other, I'm bound to see this thing through. That boy can't go to prison. Now tell me, Tom. It's for old Ott's sake. I sure's death, Ray. It's the chairman, and it's God's truth I'm telling ye, though I should not. They were back again into the speech and spirit of their boyhood days. Then I must see Sir Archibald. Give me time to see him, Tom. It's a waste of time, I'm telling ye, but two days I'll give ye, Sandy. For old sake's sake, as you say, a friendship of half a hundred years should mean something to us. For your sake, I'd let the lad go, God knows. And there's my hand upon it, but as I said, that lies with Sir Archibald. The old friend shook hands in silence. Thank ye, Tom. Thank ye, said Mr. Ray. I knew it. But hearken to me. You'll no move Sir Archibald, for on this particular point he's quite mad. He'd prosecute the Duke of Argyle, he would. But two days are yours, Sandy. And mind with Sir Archibald, ye treat his bank with reverence. It's a national institution, with national obligations, ye ken? Mr. Sherratt's wink conveyed a volume of meaning. 
and mind ye ray here mr sherrock grew grave i am trusting you to produce that lad when wanted i have him in safe keeping tom and shall produce him no fear and with that the two old gentlemen parted loyal to a lifelong friendship but loyal first to the trust of those they stood pledged to serve for the friendship that gives first place to honor is the only friendship that honorable men can hold mr ray set off for his office through the drizzling rain now then for the captain he said to himself and a state he will be in why did i ever summon him to town then for mr dunn who must keep his eye upon the young man in his office he found captain cameron in a state of distraction that rendered him incapable of either coherent thought or speech what now ray where have you been what news have you my god this thing is driving me mad penal servitude think of it man for my son oh the scandal of it it would kill me and kill his sister what's your report come out with it have you seen mr sherrott he was pacing up and down the office like a beast in a cage tut tut captain cameron said mr ray lightly this is no way for a soldier to face the enemy sit down and we will just lay out our campaign but the captain's soldiering which was of the lightest had taught him little either of the spirit or of the tactics of warfare campaign he exclaimed there's no campaign about it it's a complete smash horse foot and artillery nonsense captain cameron exclaimed mr ray more briskly than his wont for the captain irritated him we still have fighting to do and hence we must plan our campaign but first let us get comfortable here davy he called opening the office door here mend this fire it's a winter's day this he continued to the captain and goes to the morrow davy a wizened clean-shaven dark-visaged little man appeared with a scuttle of coal ay davy that's it is that cannel ay sir it is what else i got the cannel that's right davy it's grand coal granite's no said davy shortly who was a fierce radical in politics and who strove to preserve his sense of independence of all semblance of authority by cultivating a habit of disagreement granite's no he repeated but it's the best farkers hey though that's no saying much it's no what i call cannon well well davy it blazes finely at any rate said mr ray determined to be cheerful and rubbing his hands before the blazing coal ay it blazes grumbled davy when it's no smotherin come then davy that will do clear out said mr ray to the old servant who was cleaning up the hearth with great diligence and care but davy was not to be hurried he had his regular routine in fire-mending from which no power could move him ay sir he muttered brushing away with his feather besom i'll clear oot when i clear up when a thing's no done richt it's no doon eva true davy true enough that's a noble sentiment but will that no do now mr ray knew himself to be helpless in davy's hands and he knew also that nothing short of violence would hasten davy from his usual ay that'll day because it's richt doon but that's no what we call cannel grumbled davy glowering fiercely at the burning coal as if meditating a fresh attack well well said mr ray tell farkers about it ay sir i will do that said davy as he reluctantly took himself off with his scuttle and besom the captain was bursting with fretful impatience impudent old rascal he exclaimed why don't you dismiss him dismiss him echoed mr ray in consternation dismiss him he repeated as if pondering an entirely new idea i doubt if davy would consider that but now let us to work 
he set two armchairs before the fire and placed a box of cigars by the captain's elbow i've seen Sherat, he began i'm quite clear it is not in his hands in whose then burst forth the captain mr ray lit his cigar carefully the whole matter i believe lies now with the chairman of the board of directors sir archibald brodie brodie cried the captain i know him pompous little fool fool captain cameron make no mistake sir archibald may have uh, the self-importance of a self-made man somewhat under the average height but he is without doubt the best financier that stands at this moment in scotland and during the last fifteen years he has brought up the bank of scotland to its present position fool he is anything but that but he has his weak spots i wish i knew what they were and these we must seek to find out do you know him well oh yes quite well said the captain that is i've met him at various functions where he always makes speeches very common i call him i know his father a mere cotter i mean added the captain hurriedly for he remembered that mr ray was of the same humble origin you know he is thoroughly respectable and all that but of no social or family standing that is oh you understand quite said mr ray dryly yes i shall see him continued the captain briskly i shall certainly see him it is a good suggestion sir archibald knows my family indeed his father was from the erect region i shall see him personally i am glad you thought of that mr ray these smaller men Sherat and the rest i do not know in fact i do not seem able to manage them but with sir archibald there will be no difficulty i feel quite confident when can you arrange the interview mr ray sat gazing thoughtfully into the fire more and more convinced every moment that he had made a false move in suggesting a meeting between the colonel and sir archibald brodie but labor as he might he could not turn the captain from his purpose he was resolved to see sir archibald at the earliest moment and of the result of the meeting he had no manner of doubt he knew my family sir insisted the captain sir archibald will undoubtedly accede to my suggestion ah a request to withdraw his action arrange it mr ray arrange it at once and ruefully enough mr ray was compelled to yield against his better judgment it was discovered upon inquiry that sir archibald had gone for a day or two to his country estate ah much better said the captain away from his office and away from the uh, commercial surroundings of the city much better much better we shall proceed to his country home of the wisdom of this proposal mr ray was doubtful there seemed however no other way open hence the following morning found them on their way to sir archibald's country seat mr ray felt that it was an unusual course to pursue but the time was short the occasion was gravely critical and demanded extreme measures during their railway journey mr ray strove to impress upon the captain's mind the need of diplomacy sir archibald is a man of strong prejudices he urged for instance his bank he regards with an affection and respect amounting to veneration he is a bachelor you understand and his bank is to him wife and bairns of no account must you treat his bank lightly oh certainly not replied the captain who is inclined to resent mr ray's attempt to school him in diplomacy he is a great financier continued mr ray and with him finance is a high art and financial integrity a sacred obligation oh certainly certainly again replied the captain quite unimpressed by this aspect of the matter for while he considered himself distinctly a man of affairs yet his interests lay more in matters of great public moment commercial enterprises he regarded with a feeling akin to contempt 
money was an extremely desirable and indeed necessary appendage to a gentleman's position but how any man of fine feeling could come to regard a financial institution with affection or veneration he was incapable of conceiving however he was prepared to deal considerately with sir archibald's peculiar prejudices in this matter mr ray's forebodings as to the outcome of the approaching interview were of the most gloomy nature as they drove through the finely appointed and beautifully kept grounds of sir archibald brodie's estate the interview began inauspiciously sir archibald received them with stiff courtesy he hated to be pursued to his country home with business matters besides at this particular moment he was deeply engrossed in the inspection of his pigs for which animals he cherished what might almost be called an absorbing affection mr ray who was proceeding with diplomatic caution and skill to approach the matter in hand by way of sir archibald's wiltshire's was somewhat briskly interrupted by the captain who in the firm conviction that he knew much better than did the lawyer how to deal with a man of his own class plunged at once into the subject awfully sorry to introduce business matters sir archibald to the attention of a gentleman in the privacy of his own home but there is a little matter in connection with the bank in which i am somewhat deeply interested sir archibald bowed in silence rather i should say it concerns my son and therefore sir archibald myself and my family again sir archibald bowed it is after all a trivial matter which i have no doubt can be easily arranged between us the truth is sir archibald here the captain hesitated as if experiencing some difficulty in stating the case perhaps captain cameron will allow me to place the matter before you sir archibald suggested mr ray as it has a legal aspect of some gravity indeed of a very considerable gravity it is the case of young mr cameron ah said sir archibald shortly forgery case i believe well said mr ray we have not been able as yet to get at the bottom of it i confess that the case has certainly very grave features connected with it but it is by no means clear that there is no need for further statement mr ray said sir archibald i know all about it it is a clear case of forgery the facts have all been laid before me and i have given my instructions and what may these be may i inquire said the captain somewhat haughtily the usual instructions sir where the bank of scotland is concerned instructions to prosecute sir archibald's lips shut in a firm thin line as far as he was concerned the matter was closed but sir exclaimed the captain this young man is my son i deeply regret it replied sir archibald yes sir he is my son and the honour of my family is involved sir archibald bowed i am here prepared to offer the fullest reparation to offer the most generous terms of settlement in short i am willing to do anything in reason to have this matter this unfortunate matter hushed up hushed up exclaimed sir archibald captain cameron it is impossible i am grieved for you but i have a duty to the bank in this matter do you mean to say sir cried the captain that you refuse to consider any arrangement or compromise or settlement of any kind whatever i am willing to pay the amount ten times over rather than have my name dragged through legal proceedings it is quite impossible said sir archibald come come sir archibald said the captain exercising an unusual self-control let us look at this thing as two gentlemen should who respect each other and who know what is due to our uh, class it was an unfortunate remark of the captain's our class sir i presume you mean the class of gentlemen all that is due to our class or any other class is strict judgment 
and that you sir or any other gentleman shall receive to the very fullest in this matter the honour of the bank which i regard as a great national institution charged with national responsibilities is involved as is also my own personal honour i sincerely trust your son may be cleared of every charge of crime but this case must be prosecuted to the very fullest degree and do you mean to tell me sir archibald exclaimed the captain now in a furious passion that for the sake of a few paltry pounds you will blast my name and my family name in this country a name i venture to say not unknown in the history of this nation the camerons sir have fought and bled for the king and country on many a battlefield what matters the question of a few pounds in comparison with the honour of an ancient and honourable name you cannot persist in this attitude sir archibald pounds sir cried sir archibald now thoroughly aroused by the contemptuous reference to what to him was dearer than anything in life pounds sir it is no question of pounds but a question of the honour of a national institution a question of the lives and happiness of hundreds of widows and orphans a question of the honour of a name which i hold as dear as you hold yours mr ray was in despair he laid a restraining hand upon the captain and with difficulty obtained permission to speak sir archibald i crave your indulgence while i put this matter to you as a business man in the first place there is no evidence that fraud has been committed by young mr cameron absolutely none pardon me a moment sir archibald the fraud has been committed i grant by some one but by whom is as yet unknown the young man for some weeks has been in a state of incapacity a most blameworthy and indeed shameful condition it is true but in a state of incapacity to transact business he declares that he has no knowledge of this act of forgery he will swear this i am prepared to defend him very well sir interrupted sir archibald and i hope i sincerely hope successfully but while it may be difficult to establish innocence it will be equally difficult to establish guilt meantime the young man's life is blighted his name dishonoured his family plunged into unspeakable grief i venture to say that it is a case in which the young man might be given without injury to the bank and without breaking through its traditional policy the benefit of the doubt but sir archibald had been too deeply stirred by captain cameron's unfortunate remarks to calmly weigh mr ray's presentation of the case it is quite useless mr ray he declared firmly the case is out of my hands and must be proceeded with i sincerely trust you may be able to establish the young man's innocence i have nothing more to say and from this position neither mr ray's arguments nor the captain's passionate pleadings could move him throughout the return journey the captain raged and swore a contemptible cad sir a base-born low-bred cad sir what else could you expect from a fellow of his breeding the insolence of these lower orders is becoming insupportable the idea the very idea his bank against my family name my family honour preposterous honour is honour captain cameron replied mr ray firmly and it might have been better if you had remembered that the honour of a cotter's son is as dear to him as yours is to you and such was mr ray's manner that the captain appeared to consider it wise to curb his rage or at least to suppress all references to questions of honour as far as they might be related to the question of birth and breeding End of chapter 4